We just announced phase two of our Blueprint series, this time dedicated to the CMOs, helping you hit your revenue goals and to become a more confident CMO. To hit your revenue goals and to get your SaaS business to 100 million ARR, you need to be inspired to think differently, get actionable insights into what the world's best are doing to stay ahead of the game and connect with other scale-up CMOs. We're bringing together CMOs from Whereby, TripActions, Talent, HubSpot, Drift, Hopin, Envision, and more on the 30th of March for a four-hour virtual event online, and there's only space for 150 CMOs. There'll be actionable agenda of content where we're giving you the blueprint to be a successful SaaS CMO, the opportunity to network with your peers, and the opportunity to be part of an ongoing community. To grab one of the 150 places, go to sasdoc.com forward slash blueprint hyphen CMO. If you're one of the world's nearly 1 billion spreadsheet users, you're likely familiar with the time consuming effort that goes into formatting, emailing, and sharing your spreadsheets. That's exactly why Grid is here to help. Grid is a no code web tool that transforms your important spreadsheet data into compelling visual narratives and interactive web documents. If you use spreadsheets to construct complex growth models, revenue projections, or strategic analysis, Grid will give you your work that wow factor. Grid lets your team interact with your spreadsheet models, compare scenarios, and share them securely in minutes. With Grid, you'll never email another spreadsheet again. Sign up for free at www.grid.is. That's G-R-I-D.is. We wrote down our values very early when we were an eight-person company. And I think that really helped us a lot. So one of our core values is learn and grow. Mm. And I honestly fall back on that one a lot. You know, in terms of things are always changing at a startup. And you can either say, well, I wish they were back when we were all together and we could do an all hands in person, which I dearly miss. Or you could say things are different now and we have to change. Hey everyone, my name is Astasia Myers and I'm an enterprise investor at Redpoint Ventures. Redpoint is very humbled to have partnered with some incredible SaaS founders, including those at Looker, Zora, Zendesk, Snowflake, among others. Today, we'll be discussing how the shift in remote work requires a different leadership and company culture with Edith Harbaugh, the co-founder and CEO of LaunchDarkly. Thank you so much for joining us, Edith. Do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Edith Harba. I'm CEO and co-founder of LaunchDarkly. Uh, the company was founded in 2014 uh, with John Kodamol, our CTO. We both had this strong belief that software powers the world and that there are needs for tools like LaunchDarkly to help all teams deliver and control that software. Uh, so now we have 1,500 customers worldwide. Uh, we have huge, I call them stalwarts, like Intuit, Northern Trust, who depend on us to get the right feature to the right person at the right time. Uh, we also have up-and-coming startups that I also love working with, one of which is Hopin, who we're using for this conference, and Troops AI. It is absolutely incredible that you're six years into your journey journey and ha have already reached incredible scale. You kind of alluded it to it before. 20 trillion feature flags served to users, 340,000 servers reached daily, and over 1,000 customers. 
What has been some of the biggest challenges in scaling the LaunchDarkly business? You know, this is especially important now because some founders are dealing with the pandemic and they're very early in their journeys. What have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned during the pandemic thus far? We wrote down our values very early when we were an eight-person company, and I think that really helped us a lot. So one of our core values is learn and grow. Hmm. And I honestly fall back on that one a lot, you know, in terms of things are always changing at a startup. And you can either say, well, I wish they were back when we were all together and we could do an all hands in person, which I dearly miss. Or you could say things are different now and we have to change. And I I really try to reinforce that with the team. Uh, It's funny because, as, as you said, we've been around for six years that sometimes people kind of fantasize about this mythical good time. And I'm like, no, <laughs> things, are so much better. Like, things are so much better now. We have so many more resources. Um, right. So going back to the pandemic, one of, the, one of the first things that surprised me was we loved doing our all hands all together, or I loved them. When we started doing them remote, our remote employees for the first time said, I actually felt included. Oh, that's great. Like before, like the 25% of the team that wasn't in the room that was kind of like, well, we kind of heard what was going on. People laughed at jokes, but making us all remote forced us to be inclusive of a truly remote experience. That's fantastic, especially since you've started to open open other offices across the U.S. and the world. It's wonderful to hear that these other employees are now feeling more included in the company culture at LaunchDarkly. I really like your point around staying inquisitive, staying with this learning mind, because you're right, at every stage of a startup, you're going through different growing pains to get to that next phase. So love that uh, company culture. So one thing that's always been incredible about you, just as a person, is that you're an incredible runner and athlete. I mean, you've done 100-mile trail runs, marathons, you've cycled across the U.S., you know, is this more of a way for you to de-stress or push yourself? And do you think any of the skills that you learn learned from accomplishing these athletic feats translate into your work? Yeah, I, I kind of flip-flop between running and cycling. I think they do give me a target and a goal. I think they're also very good for life lessons. Uh, you know, so I'd, I've run over 20 marathons. I've run over a dozen, 50 miles. but Moving up to 100 miles was a big change where I basically had to retool a lot of things. Like I got a professional coach. I got a woman who actually had the world record at 100 miles. Um, I retooled how much time I was going to spend on it. I retooled how I thought about a goal. And I failed twice before, well, three before I did it. So it, it was good mental discipline. I think the part that's applicable to a startup is, especially in a pandemic and, as I said, six years in, you can't sprint your way to success. Right. Like, Great you got to take care of the team. You got to, I, I hate the Silicon Valley culture of let's code until 4 a.m. and crush everything. Yeah. I mean, sleep, sleep is a key resource. Totally. Totally. <laughs> 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 like there's going to be that time when, yes, you need, you need to get up early like I did today for this, but like that, you should be treating your team in a way that when they need to dig deep, they have that resource. And if every day you're just that exhaustion, you, you don't have that stamina. 
seems like there's so many skills that you learn from, you know, pushing yourself athletically. One, goal setting. Two, you know, getting used to grit. Three, getting used to failure, but getting back up and trying again, that that personal motivation. It seems like it's been a really great practice for you. And lots of things have actually translated to how you think about launch darkly. I know you guys are always raising the bar of what is considered great performance. And, you know, there are ups and downs on every company journey, but to continue to have kind of a, a mission statement and a goal seems like great parallel between your personal efforts and what you're doing at launch darkly. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, another of our core values is, um, you know, take care of yourself. Work is not life. Right. Right. That work-life balance, it can be so crucial. You definitely don't want people to be burning out with long days. You want them to be excited and contributing and making sure that they can be part of the, the long journey that you guys are on. Absolutely. So one of the things that has been impressive is because you have been at this for six years. You've achieved success on so many different stages, um, both at Launch Darkly and in your, your past roles in life. You know, what do you think were some of those defining moments that led you to be the leader you are today? It's a good question. You know, so I, I started off in engineering. I was an engineer, I mean, an enterprise company called Epicentric, which got acquired by Vignette. I got some patents on deployment from that. And then I was a product manager at an enterprise company. And this was right. back when you had like a two to three year cycle and it was, it was very slow. Yeah. Uh, so I decided I wanted to be a consumer product manager and I went to work for monster.com and it was fun, but it really challenged me. Like, yes. in a, like in a consumer world, like we had a weekly dashboard about how we'd done, like we had a monthly dashboard and I, and I as product manager was held accountable for it. Like, um, when I joined my boss and Dwayne, who's this wonderful woman who went on to be COO of Chegg and take them public gave me my 30, 60, 90 day objectives. And one of them was increase revenue by 15%. How do I do this? And she's like, you're the product manager. Bottom-ups <laughs> model and figure out the lever. And so it's great. Like this is before SaaS was really a thing, but I built this, you know, bottoms up model of like how much traffic do we get a day? How does it convert? What are our levers? Mm -hmm. and I figured out that we could optimize the flow of our app application and make, make more money. So this worked perfectly in a spreadsheet world. Nice. <laughs> uh, the thing as a product manager is that you have zero people that work for you usually. Like mm -hmm. the joke is you're the CEO of the company, but nobody works for you. I had to convince the rest of the team that, you know, this really working app that we're doing really well, that we could make some changes. And it didn't work. Like I had spearheaded this huge initiative to get better conversion and it didn't work. And I, I did the classic product manager thing of trying to argue my way out of it, saying, well, it's seasonality. Right. And then uh, our paid traffic manager, because we're paid about a million dollars a month, is like, it is not seasonality. Google, Google is sending us the same traffic every day, and I'm paid a million dollars. And we had to fix it. Mm -hmm. And that was just such a great leadership lesson in terms of metrics matter, getting buy-in, and being humble about when you make a mistake. Uh, the final twist was the reason why we didn't really do a great job A-B testing it is because frameworks back then didn't really exist. Like I wanted to make this massive change and we just had to do a hard cut over. I knew that the bigger companies like Facebook and Google had a platform where they could roll out incremental features, do a test, target different traffic. 
And we were too small to have that platform. It was really frustrated. So from that kind of came the, the genesis of Lunch Darkly. It was like every PM should have the platform to be able to safely and easily innovate because you can't stand still. You have to try new things, but also to do it safely. That's such a great story because it speaks to your learnings, being a product manager at a different type of company, the value of teamwork, persuasion and alignment, the ability, once again, a theme here being like, it's okay to fail, to learn from those experiences and grow from them so you can be a better teammate and leader. But it also is great because it actually gave you this nugget of like what you could build to help other teams like yours. And that's something that we love to look for in founders. And one of the reasons we got so excited about you is you had this personal pain that you wanted to do, you know, feature flags and experimentation and A-B testing because you were at a company that you knew that would benefit hugely from it. And you took that to become launched darkly. That's such a wonderful story. Um, something that we always hear about with LaunchDarkly is the incredible and special culture that you've built there. You know, one thing that's interesting, you were so hands-on as an engineer and PM in your last roles and in the early days as a CEO, you know firsthand that talent is incredibly important, but you can't just hire more engineers to grow. How do you think about hiring future leaders and what things do you look for in these types of candidates that show their potential? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we're 200 plus people now. So the people we're hiring now are different than the people we had back then, though our, most of our early employees are still with the company. Oh, fantastic. Uh, a screening question I ask people when they're looking at joining LaunchDarkly is, I don't ask, have you worked at a startup before? Because everybody has a different idea of what a startup is. Right. Like, you know, they think it's Google or, they, <laughs> you know, what I ask is, what's the smallest company you've worked at? <laughs> and what did you like and dislike about it? Mm. That mm -hmm. really uncovers how much process and change people are comfortable with. If they say, I've never worked at a company bigger than 20, because I just like, you know, not having a lot of departments and I just like everything being awesome and fluid. Like, okay, you're who we would perhaps have hired five years ago. Mm -hmm. Like now if they say, Hey, you know, I like structure, but I also like having some freedom, That that's more of a fit at a 200 plus person company. That makes a lot of sense. So what I like about that too, is that terminology can be confused and interpreted differently by different people. Even today, I have people saying like, oh, I work at a startup, I work at Airbnb. And it's like, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's some version that's still a startup, right? Kind of what you were talking to, it's really about trying to quantify and distill what that term really means to a person. So in your example saying, you know, the size of the company and what you liked and disliked to better qualify potential candidates for leadership there. Given that, you just talked about the kind of the persona of people you were looking for in the early days as a little different than now, you know, I bet you also had to go through an evolution as a leader where, you know, in the early days you were managing a lot of the processes and people yourself. And then as you grew, you probably had to delegate more of those responsibilities. How do you think about which kind of uh, growth lanes you wanted to focus on as you scaled? And are there any tips that you would pass on to other 
ICs that are growing into a manager? Yeah, I mean, when we were an eight-person company, I ran payroll. I called our HR company. I went to City Hall to file our doing businesses. You know, I was not a glamorous CEO. <laughs> As we got bigger, what I just wrote down is jobs to be done. Like, mm-hmm. I used to build the financial models for the company because I knew how to do it and there wasn't anybody around. Um, and you were yeah. great. I just want to give Edith a whole bunch of credit. Some of the best models we saw were the ones that I've worked on Edith with. So you were very skilled at it too. So. <laughs> but it was one of those things as we got bigger, it was right around when we raised our B and we're growing to 20 from 20 to beyond. I'm like, I'm good at this. I know how to do it. I'm not the best person to do it anymore. Like we need to get a professional VP of finance who owns this because this is not a core competency that I need to have right now. You were so good at this modeling and you could have done it for much longer in terms of the business, but you just appreciated that you needed an expert and that your skills could be better leveraged in other domains. When you're 200 plus, your model takes more work than eight people also. Exactly. So something that has been really interesting is that you talk about a lot of people at the company who started with you early on are still at Launch Darkly, and then you complimented them with new talent. How do you think about training these employees to grow into leadership roles and kind of what are the techniques you and the team have used? And how do you think the team has been doing given that we're operating COVID now where it may not be an in-person experience anymore? There were things we were doing pre-COVID that have served us well. Uh, everybody gets a 30-60-90 plan. Um, you know, it, whether you're a BDR or new VP of revenue, you get a 30-60-90. People really seem to like this because it sets expectations on both sides. Right. Here is where I expect you to be. And also here are all these resources to help you. Um, we've supplemented with professional training. We're using Life Labs right now, which people really seem to like. Uh, for manager training and, and also doing frequent performance reviews and using culture amp i saw the culture amp talk earlier and appreciated it so it, it sounds like a, a mix of different techniques one is the 30 60 90 review plans it sounds like you receive that in one of your past roles and really like the alignment of goals spe- specifically if you're a manager kind of appreciating ways you could help your teammate ramp up and upskill complemented by manager and leadership training. I'm curious, some companies have like peer groups that they organize to align people and bring them together. Does LaunchDarkly have that aspect as well? I want to loop back for a second on the training. Um, Everybody also gets $2,500 a year for training. Oh, I myself used it. I went to general management class and then that set off a wave where everybody else went also, even down to like the BDR people, they, they wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of our culture is that it's not seen as a punishment. Like it's not, Hey, you're bad at this. It's a treat of, we want you to be up leveled and we're here to support you in that journey. Gotcha. But it's also you, you led by example as well, which I really appreciate. You kind of walk the walk and talk the talk with the, the management training, which is fantastic. Well, I know that we are at time now. I want to thank everyone that's joining us remotely for tuning in. And also, Edith, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure working with you and really appreciate your thoughts. Thanks. 
Thanks so much, Edith and uh, Astasia. Fantastic, really insightful conversation. Fantastic founder and, uh, and great investor there. And I know uh, you're staying for afters with Astasia uh, and Edith, um, uh, so really appreciate that. Uh, that will start in about 20 minutes uh, in the sessions area. So for those of you that have got any questions uh, for both, uh, let's go to that interactive uh, session in about 20 minutes time. So thanks so much uh, for being the penultimate guest of, uh, of today's uh, SASPOT Remote. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SAS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world.